assess in the podcast. Hello, my name is Mpoma Zipa and you're listening to the African Mobilities Podcast. On this edition of African Mobilities, three scholars from Columbia University's Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation will discuss Global Africa Lab's installation titled Immobility and the Afro-Imaginary that examines the history of racial geography and infrastructure in New York. Mario Gooden is a professor of practice and co-director of Global Africa Lab. Mabel O. Wilson is a professor in architecture, African-American and African diaspora studies at Columbia University, the director of the Institute of Research in African-American Studies and co-director of Global Africa Lab. And finally, Justin Garrett-Moore is adjunct faculty at Columbia University and the co-founder of the Urban Patch and executive director of the New York City Public Design Commission, as well as being a member of the American Urban Design Forum and Black Space. In this podcast, they discuss the concept of enclosure. Hi, I'm Mabel Wilson. I'm Mario Gooden, and it's Mabel and my um, distinct pleasure to be joined by our colleague, friend, and uh, I suppose I would also call you Justin. So Justin, thank you for joining us today in a discussion about the Global Africa Labs exhibition for the African Mobilities Exhibition, This Is Not a Refugee Camp. And our exhibition was entitled Immobility and the Afro-Imaginary, and it really began with an examination of the sort of history of racial geography and infrastructure in New York. And that you know, extends back from redlining through to the Black Lives Movement and how the Black Lives Movement, particularly in a few years ago in 2014, 15, and 16, how it re-spatialized the city. And I think we could also talk about what's going on currently as well in terms of the Black Lives Movement and the recent marches happening in New York. But we were thinking that we might just kind of want to go back and maybe sort of talk about how infrastructure was used to to spatialize race historically in New York. Yeah, thank you for, for having me part of this conversation. You know, it's interesting. I work at the New York City Public Design Commission, and one of the projects that we've been doing in recent years, it sounds very kind of boring or not that important, they're uh, bridge reconstructions. Uh, but where it becomes interesting is that these bridge reconstructions that we're doing are in South Brooklyn along the uh, the, the Belt Parkway and, and what was the Southern Highway uh, that connected Brooklyn to Long Island. These are the highways that were constructed during the Robert Moses era and that they were by design built uh, with low clearances to prevent buses that would presumably have black people in them. Uh, from traversing uh, the island to get to the predominantly white communities on Long Island. And, you know, there's something that's kind of interesting. We're looking at, you know, all the technical drawings and looking at all these measures and provisions, but it's just sort of mind boggling, uh, you know, just how much racism has literally constructed our city. It is the infrastructure literally of our city. And so these Robert Moses bridges and highways uh, have to have this now like reconstruction or deconstruction process in order to create sort of a, a more equitable geography. But the important thing to remember is that 
a lot of time has passed and a lot of the forces and the damage has been done, right? We, we've seen how these uh, infrastructures have, have sort of exacerbated quality that we see in the city. The other kind of infrastructure that, that is really important to sort of acknowledge is the kind of the infrastructure of mobility is connected to kind of the infrastructure of, of stability and home. So in our cities, uh, kind of housing geographies, we, we sort of see this simultaneous uh, project where there were the suburban areas uh, that, that these highways were sort of facilitating uh, kind of their patterns and, and their kind of modalities uh, that were, were being done at the same time that those same infrastructures were being uh, used to literally tear through black and, and brown communities, right? So across Bronx Expressway, uh, you know, uh, kind of different parts of the city where, you know, the, the infrastructure of access and mobility and progress on, on the one hand, right, for, for one group of people, but simultaneously the infrastructure of, of destruction and harm uh, and dispossession uh, for other people, right? And, and this is just so kind of built in and ingrained in our, in our city. And there's this kind of important disconnect that, that we see happening. So, Yeah, I mean, I think I, I appreciate the connection that you made between infrastructure and housing geography. I think the importance for us in thinking about immobility in the Afro-imaginary is to understand how mobility becomes for the American, right? The open road, the sense of freedom, I can go anywhere, becomes immobilized by something like stop and frisk in a city that has like now after urban renewal going undergoing redevelopment and gentrification. So, you know, in the sense that Black Lives Matter is protesting, there's a kind of immobility of Black bodies that is now happening after the systemic displacement of Black and brown bodies of urban renewal. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that, um, Justin, you mentioned the, uh, the Cross Bronx Expressway, and, and I recall, and this is also included in the video, there's a, a rendering of the Cross Bronx Expressway one, we have a series of historic photographs that show the decimation of the, you know, of the Bronx, you know, what was removed, the scar. But then there's this rendering which shows you know, the end of the Cross Bronx Expressway, I think where it meets the Henry Hudson, as this kind of pasture-like landscape, you know, which is that sort of dream of escaping to the, to the suburbs. So on, on the one hand, yes, it's a, you know, it was a, about sort of housing and and this to kind of escape to housing in the suburbs, but then what it left behind was a kind of infrastructure, which was also about enclosing, if you will, and forming a kind of boundary around a community. And that sort of notion about in, uh, of enclosure, I think, then sort of while it's about mobility for certain people, it was also about immobility and enclosure for other people. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that connection is is so key, and we're we're seeing it right now in in real time with uh, the impacts of COVID nineteen on the city, right? So this this idea of of density of of certain geographies of, of enclosure, right? There are now new maps that happen to have some overlaps with other historic maps of forms of differentiation that we see. In the city, right? The, the enclosure of uh, we have a lot of people in our home that are 
don't have the choice but to be sort of connected and exposed to one another. Transmission levels and things. Right, there's the enclosure of the access to services uh, that you may or may not have in your community and that it, it creates a, a sort of a, a realm that directly impacts your life and your mobility in other ways, right? Your access to health care and your access to uh, certain types of essential services and, and, and opportunities. And so it, it does create these sort of other layers of geography that literally affect uh, the, the body, right? I think a collective conversation about health, well-being, and access is absolutely connected to these infrastructures of, of both mobility and housing. Yeah, and, and it seems also that um, the infrastructure created a kind of enclosure to a community. And also, if you if one overlays, and Maple was sharing this with me a few days, if you overlay redlining maps with COVID maps, and also with the infrastructure maps of New York City, that there is a confluence you know, in terms of that relationship and the ways, and it becomes so much more explicit, the ways in which sort of infrastructure works to sort of enclose at that scale. And then when we come down to, let's say, the scale of housing, if you will, as another form of enclosure, which is within those boundaries. And then if I think we can also think of the black body as being a kind of form of enclosure to, let's say, blackness. And I know Mabel, you and Sadia Hartman have been sort of working on this idea or this concept of, of enclosure and what that means relative to the black body. The question of precisely, I think, COVID-19 and its correspondence with the redlining maps, right? Because what redlining did was, you know, it literally mapped out value, right? And it said, if you were grade D, we don't care, right? We devalue you. And those were often defined on maps as Negro. Like if the number of Negro bodies were high, then it was grade D, it was red. And that still corresponds some almost 90 years, 70, 80, 90 years later with precisely where the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, did the most um, devastating damage to people's lives. And so I think that question of the enclosure you know, it, it is in the map, it's by design, but it's also the condition of blackness, that blackness immobilizes the body. And it means that you get polluted water, as in Flint, you get polluted air, you don't have access to healthcare, or the food that you have in your neighborhood is very high calorie. And so you're immobilized in other ways as a kind of both living social death, but also you're constantly, your, your, your life is diminished toward death. Because fundamentally, I think it's just Justin um, brought out, like there's no care, there's no social structure. Yeah, I was just gonna add one kind of anecdote to that and it's sort of literal mobility was a part of these systems too. And that for those of us that went through the kind of the lockdown or the, the quarantine period in New York City, the subways are running, you know, go to work, go to work and, you know, stagger your schedules. But once the white collar workers, right, the service workers, the tend to be white workers were home and sheltered and safe, then the services for mobility were cut, right? The number of trains reduced. And we saw the, the crowding of the people that were the service workers, the essential workers, right? And that's another layer of kind of coincidence, let's say, with, with those redlining maps and, and the COVID maps that, uh, that we've seen. So there, there are kind of multiple layers to these systems that are kind of, they're enclosing you even when they're moving you. I think one of the you know, interesting things about this 
time that we're in, and particularly with New York being the epicenter, you know, of of COVID and also the epicenter of what's now being called this new social justice movement, but of the recent Black Lives Movement protests, you know, the physical protests in the in the city, is the ways in which, yes, the, the black body is a form of enclosure, but in relationship to to infrastructure, that the you know the the black bodies and other bodies marching throughout the city, you know, the ways in which they seek to defy, you know, those systems, the way that they seek to defy the the transportation networks, the the infrastructure. So, you know, at certain moments, there may be three or four marches going on in the city, you know, and they've come together and then split apart again, you know, in, in different ways, such that the police are unable, if you will, then to, you know, to corral them or actually to kind of to control them. So the at once the black body as enclosure, but then also the black body, which is something which seeks to renegotiate to improvise the way in which that enclosure operates, the way enclosure uh, gets confined. In the videos that we, you know, that, that we looked at for our research, it was really astonishing the, the ways in which, and that we document also in our video, you know, the way in which the re-territorialization of the city by the protests radically transformed a city that would say, well, the roadways are for cars, the parks are for people, you know, let's have greenery. It was a kind of aesthetic project to keep the flow of capital going. And the marches were literally yelling, shut the system down, shut the system down. And that the policing is a mode of enforcement, of enforcing and keeping people in their place so as, they, as to not disrupt that flow, that flow of capital and the order of things, which diminishes, you know, the lives of, of black and brown people because their lives don't matter. And I think yeah. that... That this appropriation of infrastructure um, or appropriation in general is something that that black people, particularly in the in the United States, have always had to do, and that is to sort of take some system and appropriate or reappropriate it in terms of cultural production. Actually, you know whether or not that is thinking about art or thinking about music or just thinking about the ways in which black people have to exist in space, you know, and the things that we make. The, the enclosure and, and kind of the space that we make, something that, that I've become sort of hyper aware of is the use of the helicopter. Uh, and so, you know, people are living in this, this city and, and there's this sort of new ceiling, right, that comes, which is, is sort of the kind of plane of surveillance, right, that's applied to certain parts of the city and not necessarily others. And, and the, the kind of the visceral feeling that you have and the fear that is there that is connected to things like militarization or kind of a, a incredibly complicated understanding of like what is the state right or the different layers of state that, that you're having to navigate and negotiate that are just a, a kind of a, a real challenge right now um, and I, I think the those kind of the images that we see kind of a, a push for us to challenge what it means to occupy our rights <laughs> like literally right a public space, a street, a park, right? That is is uh, kind of a space of your rights. And that we have, the fact that we have to constantly negotiate that and navigate that is, is something that we need to, to sort of push our, our policing systems, our investment systems, our infrastructures to, to take on in a way that we can get a, a kind of a fair outcome. 
Yeah, and that constant renegotiation is, is also tied to the history of the kind of constant dispossession. So constantly having to kind of be moved because you've been dispossessed of this land, dispossessed of that land, dispossessed of that sort of location. So yeah, always having to kind of move, readjust, you know, sort of realign, what have you. Yeah, and I think, you know, we live at these constant reminders of who is in possession of the land, right? You know, it's the white settler logic, right? Of, of who, you know, the land was dispossessed from the indigenous, turned into property and real estate, fought over, you know, by, by uh, the, the Civil War. And yet, you know, these Civil War monuments were a kind of reinscription of, and a reminder of, again, a territorialization of, of, of whiteness. In, in the city. I mean, the figure of Columbus, for example, in the middle of Columbus Circle, which was a moment in which Italians were making claims to whiteness. And I think that, you know, those spaces, you know, that, that these protests are a bit of a pushback against that. But I also think that there are Black spaces that Black communities have made that are also outside of this as well. And to, you know, the, the, the videos don't necessarily address that particularly, but that is also something to think about what Sylvia Winter calls the, the underlife and what those spaces also might be of Black sociality. Yeah, something that I've really kind of in, enjoy seeing is, is, you know, we started this conversation with infrastructure, right? The bridges, like kind of the march across the bridge, which has uh, sort of an importance in, in terms of, of movements or even the image of it because of the, I think, the precarity Right. It's, it's like people are making this this sort of traversion of, uh, across space, knowing that that's a particularly vulnerable thing to do. It's 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 kind of power through precarity. And I think we see that, yes, there's kind of the space of the black communities, but black people and, and kind of supporters are pushing and challenging the spaces that are the centers of power that are kind of the, the kind of the heart of the machine or, or the infrastructure for, for the system. And I, I think it's, it's sort of a powerful thing to kind of po- constantly push on that and to occupy uh, those spaces. The African Mobilities podcast series was made possible with the support of the Goethe Institute, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, the Witz Institute of Social and Economic Research, the African Center for Migration and Society, and the Witz School of Architecture and Planning at the University of the Witwatersrand. Mm-hmm.